Well, I was invited this past summer in July to, uh, to share the Bible messages at Laurelville camp for the disciples camp. So it was um, students ages 14 to 17. We gathered over five days and we had nine 45 minute sessions digging into this passage of the Beatitudes. So I guess what I'm telling you is buckle up because nine 45 minute sessions, we're going to be here for a while. But just at the beginning of every session, our director, Leah, would, would get an oil lamp and she would light the lamp and hopefully it goes well. And, uh, and as Leah would light this lamp, she would invite all of the campers to scream at the top of their lungs, God is with us! And there were about 21 students. There were probably like 10 staff that were there. And so when all of our collected voices would shout, God is with us! it would reverberate off of the trees and it would echo out into the field behind where we were meeting. And we would hear clear as day, it echoed back to us, God is with us. Now, as I was preparing for this week of lessons, you know, I was nervous. I haven't hung out with students for a while. And, uh, <laughs> And they said, well, we're going we're gonna to take a look at the Beatitudes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, great. Like, Beatitudes this is a really nice poem. Uh, you know, can't be too controversial. I could do that. And then I started to research and dig in and, and study and learn about the Beatitudes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what did I get myself into? Because as I started to explore this beautiful passage of Scripture, my world started to be turned upside down. And in fact, this passage of scripture is often referred to as Jesus ushering in to our midst, the upside down kingdom. And there's absolutely a reason for that. Because, you know, our culture has a lot of things that we value. You know, we value kind of globally, but particularly here in the West, we really value material wealth. We value the comfort that it brings us. We value the status that it brings us. We really value health, beauty of body, right? We value things like making a lot of achievements and contributions to the world, being recognized. And when I, was, when I was exploring this passage, it's like God was telling us through Jesus that Jesus is standing with almost the exact opposite people, right? And so uh, throughout our time together at camp, we captured, uh, we captured our learning visually on the wall. And so, so we walked through day by day, step by step, learning about how Jesus stands by the poor in spirit, right? Those who are at the end of their rope, 
like Danette read so beautifully this morning. You know, people who are crushed, people who are living in poverty, right? And he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not even theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven right now. And God tells us, blessed are those who mourn, you know, who have suffered loss, who've experienced an unexpected change in life. People who, who are heartbroken and grieving. Blessed are the meek, the humble. That Latin word, humble, the root word is humilis, which means the ground. Those who are low, those who are overlooked, those who are trodden under the feet of people in power. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what we learned was that throughout scripture, this term righteousness in Hebrew is often paired with the term justice. So we read in that, uh, in that scripture, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and just, justice. When, when we see what's happening in the world and it feels wrong, and it, something stirs in us when we're unsettled by what we see around us. We're blessed. And, and blessed are the merciful. Those who, who maybe have space and power to punish others, but they choose something different, right? Forgiveness, compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those whose inside life matches what is projected outside, right? Not, not necessarily perfection, but vulnerability, honesty, openness. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who are working toward shalom in this world to bring harmony and wholeness, fullness, who care for the welfare of others. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I read these Beatitudes, you know, it's kind of strange. Like there's a mismatch, right? Because oftentimes we hear this term blessed as translated, happy are you. And then I, I kind of look at the people who were with Jesus, who committed their lives to Jesus. And, um, you know, even if we just look at the 12 disciples, like life turned out pretty rough, right? Like it was not easy. Happy are you isn't how I would kind of quantify it. And so there was, you know, I was wrestling with this, like, okay, how am I going to bring this authentically to young people? Because, you know, young people particularly can kind of see through stuff pretty clearly. I don't know if you've found that, but I have found that. And, and so I started digging and digging. And in one of the resources that I was using, I was really challenged because uh, a man, Stu Gerard, wrote the book, Words from the Hill. And he says, you know, this term, blessed are you, is probably really best understood as God is with. And that started to make some sense to me. Right, this notion that, that when you're poor in spirit, God is with you. 
that when you're mourning and grieving, God is with you. When you're striving to bring peace in a really violent world, which is an unpopular thing to do, God is with you. And so this blessing, more than happiness, is presence. And that really shook me up a bit. Because as Jesus is talking about this stuff, you know, another, another way that this passage commonly gets interpreted is, is as kind of like a checklist, right? Like, okay, am I, am I not too wealthy? Am I not, not uh, too happy all the time, but, you know, not too sad because, you know, people don't like it when you're sad. You got to have a positive outlook. And, you know, am I merciful? Am I very forgiving of anyone who does anything mean to me? And am I really working to bring peace in the world? Because honestly, like, I can sit pretty comfortably in my house and kind of do nothing. And no one's holding me accountable to that, except Hannah. (laughs) And, And I thought, you know, the checklist notion seems, it seems to really combat this notion of being pure in heart that the inside world is matching what we're projecting to the outside world. And what I, what I noticed was that in my own life, when I've experienced some of these things, that the presence of God often comes to us through those around us. So when I thought about in 2016, when my brother passed away, and I was somewhat new to this place, I had started coming a year prior. And, um, and one of the first things that happened was Kate Cooker was trying to get a sense of where I was the day that he passed, because she lives very close to the hospital he was at. And she wanted to meet me there just to give me a hug. And many people from the church brought meals to us. Family members sent us flowers. Uh, Becky Knoll made us cookies, which we all know if you've had Becky Knoll's cookies, they are made with love, right? And that often this presence, this being with, an invitation to be, it comes comes through the people that surround us. And so not only is Jesus offering comfort and a balm to us when we're in dire straits, when we're at the end of our rope, when we're grieving, when we're working hard to confront the values of this world that don't line up with the upside down kingdom, but also he's offering an invitation for us to be active participants in that presence. And so together with the students, we brainstorm different ways to think about what does it mean to be present to those who are at the end of their rope? What does it mean to enter into the grief of people around us? You know, the Greek word for mourning is pantheo, and it means collective mourning, that it's a communal act, right? In fact, there are some societies in in African countries that when someone dies in the community, they change something on the outer structure of their household. 
maybe something in the garden, maybe something in the archway over their doorway, because they want the family to know that the community is altered forever at the loss of that person, that this is a collective act. So one of the ways that we thought to do this uh, at camp was that there, there's kind of a running tradition at Laurelville camp that students can memorize the scripture passages. And over the years, there's been kind of different incentives to do that. So sometimes it was to, to earn scholarships for their camp, uh, camp tuition uh, or the charge for participating in camp. Sometimes it was just that throughout the week they could earn different kinds of prizes while they were there. And we started thinking, you know, as we were preparing, like, What would, it, what would it look like to usher in the upside down kingdom with this tradition that we hold pretty strongly? And we thought, well, okay, what if the students were reciting the scriptures for someone else, to the benefit of someone else? And so we started thinking about, well, who are the people that Jesus is talking about here? And so we came up with people who had been trodden underfoot, who have experienced systemic oppression within our country. And so we got connected with the Equal Justice Initiative. And that was a, a group of people that students could raise money to kind of work towards both kind of people who were working towards mercy to end the death penalty in our country, and also to bring racial equality to our world. We also thought about people who had been trodden underfoot as being people who have been enslaved, who are actively enslaved in our world today. And so we connected with International Justice Mission and decided, you know, that could be a place where students might want to contribute some money to end modern day slavery in our time. And we thought, okay, well, who else? And we thought, well, there's a lot of people in our world who don't have access to food or water. And so, so students could raise money for that. And so we challenged these students throughout the week to memorize this scripture, but to do it with a bit of a different vantage point. And over the week, we had 21 students. And if anyone memorized the whole scripture, they, they could uh, earn $100 for an organization of their choosing. And at the end of the week, they had raised $1,100 to go towards various organizations um, that were working to br bring this Beatitudes vision into our midst. And it was so moving and inspiring. And as I think about this Beatitudes vision, you know, and what it takes, I have to say I left that week feeling unprepared feeling a little concerned about what it would really look like to take these words seriously in my own life, in our family life. It's a hard life. And you'll notice if you, if you really look at these beatitudes from, from beginning to end that they build on one another, right? So, so if we concern ourselves with those who have been trodden underfoot, 
those who are mourning, those who have suffered loss at the hands of violence in our society. And if that stirs you to yearn for justice, it's not surprising that Jesus in his next breath says, and when you're looking to bring justice, remember to be merciful. Remember to be compassionate, right? That, that we are seeking to usher in peace. And that as we do this, it's really, really likely that you're going to suffer persecution. There's a natural progression to this calling that he's inviting us into. And it's going to require some Sophia that Todd talked about last week, some wisdom. It's going to require compassion. And that's a hard road. That's a really hard road to trod. And to be honest, I spent some of my most vulnerable moments in prayer following this week thinking like, God, I'm going to need your help to do this. Like, I can't do this on my own because I'm really clinging to these values that the world sets up for us, to the comfort that I experience in my own life. And I don't know how much I want to rock that. So if you really want this to be something we partner in, I'm going to need you. And, and I felt so clearly a response of, Elisa, that's the blessing. The blessing is presence. And so as we seek to do this as a community, it's a really beautiful vision to return to again and again together. And I just want to end with a, uh, really a poem uh, by a musician named Strawn. It's called Never Alone. Never alone. Never any breath alone. Never a thought or quiver alone of any kind. Never a beat or pulse or love for any human soul alone. Alone is impossible. Alone is death. But even then, never alone. Alone would be to live without the womb of divine oxygen surrounding human spark and cell. There can be no alone. Not even for enemies. Not even for emptiness herself and her vast taunts of separation intent. There can be no alone. There is no space not filled with divine presence, nor the envelope of creator breath. Alone is invention. It's low-brow imagination built to shelter human shame, the weapon that tried to slay its maker, yet even still, never alone.